1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be. We'll start in verse 1 and, and Lord willing, get all the way through verse 11. Uh, anybody else get thrown off by the freshness of the crackers? Every time. We did it last time and I was like, man, those got me. And then this time it did again. I'm, I'm used to the stale ones. We had our Baptist tradition of stale crackers. And now look what we've done. Yeah, they were. It threw me off. Years ago now, when we first came uh, to Ira uh, and I got to be pastor here, um, I have never been somebody who is good at saying, this is the vision and this is the direction that I want the church to go and, and this is how we're going to do things. That's not ever really been my personality. I don't really have that. I, I don't know. I just don't understand those things. I have friends that are good at that type of stuff, and I'm just not. And so when I was interviewing and thinking through, like, okay, if I'm going to pastor this church, we have to have some kind of, of direction, some kind of way that we're going to walk together. The direction I pitched and the direction that we have largely followed even to this day is very simple and it's very straightforward. And it's just that we want to be a gospel-centered church. That's it. That we want to make the gospel of Jesus Christ central to everything that we do, whether that's the nursery, whether that's the member meetings, whether that's the classes, whether that's sermons, songs, everything that we do when we gather together must be about the gospel. We've got to see some fruit from those labors. We've seen people who've come to Christ for salvation. We've seen people who've grown in the Lord in those ways. We've seen the God be gracious and merciful to us in the midst of up times and down times if we just stay focused and lean into the gospel. And so we come to this passage today, which honestly is th there are times when you come to passages you don't want to preach. This is not one of them. This passage is straightforward, and without any sarcasm, there's not a whole lot of people that argue about this passage. It is just a straight-up, clear presentation of what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't, and why we should trust and why we should believe it. This must be the heartbeat of our church. This must be the direction that we continue to walk in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's start in verse 1. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you, take you, which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, not, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, so you have believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Help us to not 
miss that blessing, that, that grace, that, that gift that you've given us of the moment today. We're not promised it. We're not told that we're going to have it. We're not told that we're going to make it to the end of the service. God, we have what you've given us and help us to be grateful for what you've given. God, as we walk through this passage, just this clear, this is what the gospel is section. God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts where we need encouragement. That you would convict our hearts where we need conviction. And that you would help us to dig down deep and to lean and to be centered on your gospel. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start back in chapter uh, 15, verse 1. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So we have Paul who's walking, walking us through this letter. It's a letter to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth has done a lot of really dumb things. They've made a lot of really bad decisions. And Paul has walked through a lot of those decisions and corrected several of them as we've gone about the way. We just finished up a section that was on spiritual gifts where the Corinthians had elevated the gifts of tongue above all of these other things. And Paul kind of sets them in their place. And now he's switched. And for the rest of this letter, he's going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus because, surprise, the Corinthians were not getting it right. They had some misunderstandings about the resurrection, and it's important. The resurrection is important for us as believers, for us as Christians. And so Paul's going to spend much of the rest of the letter talking to them about the resurrection and thus talking to us as we read his word. And so he starts by saying, I want to make clear. Right, let's, there's, let's get everything else out of the way. Let's just make clear what the gospel is. He says this is the gospel that he preached to them. Remember, Paul founded this church. This is what he proclaimed to them. This is the good news. That's what gospel means. He says this is the gospel which you received when he was there preaching it to you. Meaning it hasn't changed. Paul proclaimed this when he planted the church, and now he's writing this letter years later saying, and the gospel hasn't changed. It's the one I preached to you. It's the one that you received. Don't walk away from it. Don't move on from it. Don't try to shift it. Don't try to change it. It doesn't need added to. It doesn't need taken away from. This is the gospel. Hold to the good news. He says this is the gospel you've taken your stand on. And he says this is the gospel that is, uh, he doesn't say saved you in past tense. He says this is the gospel that you're being saved. It's active and it's present. That you don't. Take the gospel at salvation, and then once you're saved, move on to something else. That it's the gospel that continues to save, or we call it sanctification, that continues to grow you in Jesus Christ as you go about your life. But then he adds this deal in at the end that I want to sit on for a minute. He says, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's this idea that Paul's presenting that you can say you believe something, you can use your words, but if it doesn't seep into your heart, then it's not actual true belief. And Jesus talks about this too. I want to, to look at a parable with you that illustrates this, the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. Luke 
Luke chapter 8, verse 4 says this, And as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and it was trampled on by the birds of the sky, and uh, uh, trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and those thorns grew up with it and choked it. And still other seeds fell on the good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And he said this, uh, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. This parable is important for us to understand what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, right? So we see the parable, and Jesus is saying, there's this seed, and the guy who's planting the seed is just kind of carelessly throwing this seed everywhere. Some of it lands on a path. Some of it lands on rocky soil, which for them is is, uh, uh, not like rocks sticking up, but there was a subsurface layer of rock. So the seed roots, when it grows, couldn't get into the water table. Other seed grows up with weeds, with thorns. And yet some goes on the good ground. And when the stuff that goes on the good ground grows up a hundred times what was sown, that's a massive improvement. So what does it mean? Is Jesus telling us how to garden? don't think so because he explains it in verse 11 this is the meaning of the parable the seed is the word of god the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved and the seed on the rock are those who hear those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root, these believers they, these believe for a while and fall in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, and when they have heard, they go back to their way, and they're choked with the worries and tr- uh, riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring, produce fruit there's a lot of important things we need from this parable we're in first corinthians i'm just going to go fast there's only one seed that's sown there's not multiple kinds of seeds it's not a genetically modified seed we don't add to or take away from this seed the passage is very clear the seed is the word of god it's the gospel it's the good news of jesus and it's not just sown in in particular places and at special times it's just thrown around that's what the farmer's doing that's what the sower's doing He's throwing the seed, and wherever it sticks is where it sticks. What dictates what grows from the seed is the condition of the soil or the condition of the heart. The word doesn't change. And so he says those are the path or those who uh, have heard the word. They have the seed, but then the devil comes, and he takes the word away from their hearts so that they do not believe. And we have those who are on the rock, and they hear the word. And initially, there's a growth that takes place with the seed. But then, when times of trouble come, when the sun comes out on a hot ira day, it withers away because the roots don't go deep enough to get into the water. And then there's a seed that falls among the thorns. I don't imagine the thorns were up. I imagine they were also seeds. And they grow up together. And as the seed grows up, it's choked out by the thorns, and it does not produce fruit. But the seed on the good ground are those who, having heard with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring, produce fruit. The 
this is important for you and for I because if we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Paul says, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain, then we can add him and say, okay, so here's how you're believing in vain. Here's how you could hear the word of God and say you believe in the word of God, but that not actually be true. It could be that you heard the word of the Lord, but then you didn't have a good scarecrow up and, and the enemy comes and Satan comes and whatever takes place and the seed is snatched away before it can take root. It can be that you heard the word of God, but there's rocks in your heart, there's rocks in your soil, and it's hard, and it's cold, and it's dry. And so initially, there's this joy that takes place within salvation, but as life progresses, and life does not get easier, that's not a promise of Christianity, the promise is life will likely get harder for you as you mature in Christ and as you grow in Jesus. If that seed is not rooted in the water table, it's going to wither away and die. It's not true belief. That some can believe in vain because they will grow, uh, they have the seed that's planted, and the seed is planted, and it's growing with thorns. It's growing with weeds. And it ends up getting choked out, and, and Jesus tells us those weeds are the cares and concerns of the world. What he's saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is echoing what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 with the parable of the sower is that there are ways to hear the word of God and we need to hear this because we're in the Bible belt but not actually believe it. So Paul's saying, I preached to you and you received this message and you stand on this message and you're being saved with this message, this gospel that he's about to explain to us in, in chapter 3 or in verse 3 unless you believe it in vain. We cannot move from gospel centrality because it is the only thing that matters and it's the only thing that can save us. We must be certain that we believe in the gospel of Jesus. You can fake this and you can certainly trick me. I am very gullible. And you can fake this, and you can trick other people, but you cannot trick the Lord. He sees the heart. So what is this gospel that we are supposed to believe? Verse 3, For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, to the one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So Paul says, what I preached and what you received is also what he received. And we know Paul was saved on the road to Damascus when Jesus appears to him and, and uh, clouds his vision and, 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 and changes uh, Paul's life. And so he receives the gospel there. But then we also see that he goes to the apostles and the apostles are teaching him things about Jesus. And so Paul's saying, I received this gospel just like you received the gospel, just like and you and I have received the gospel when somebody shared it with us, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's interesting to me. 1 Corinthians 15 comes right after the whole section on spiritual gifts where Paul is elevating prophecy and he's elevating all of those types of things, yet he doesn't say uh, Christ died for our sins according to the prophecies. 
according to the prophets that you hear, according to the tongues that you're speaking. He says it comes through our uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the word of God. That Jesus died, that God died for our sins. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. That is the good news. You and I, in our own power and in our own ability, cannot get rid of our sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is the natural state of our heart from birth. And there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to God. You can't be good enough. You can't be kind enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be funny enough. You cannot work your way up to the Lord. Instead, what we see is God comes down to us. That he puts on flesh. That the immortal God makes himself mortal. And dies. Not because he deserves it. He never sinned. Because we deserve death. That Jesus died in our place. That's the gospel. That's what we don't move on from. That he was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You bury the dead. That he was placed in a borrowed tomb. That he lay there for three days. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. That he proved who he said he was. That death could not hold Jesus because Jesus did not sin. Had no claim. What I love about this passage in particular is what Paul does next. He, he explains the gospel and then Paul says, and if you don't believe me, he gives a list of people to go talk to. So he's like, if you don't believe me, right, uh, 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 he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Do you remember at the beginning of, of Corinthians in this letter who Paul said the people were arguing about as one of their favorite Sunday school teachers? It's Peter. Some of you like Peter. Some of you like Apollos. Some of you like me. Paul's saying, go talk to Peter if you like Peter. He saw Jesus resurrected. And then to the 12, that's the disciples. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Do you know what this means for us? Just that little verse right there gives us such a clue to the reliability of the scriptures that we can hold this to be God's word and we can hold it to be truthful and accurate, that we can believe in the resurrection, that anybody who denies the resurrection has to come up for an explanation of that verse right there. 500 people do not hallucinate at one time together. That's the claim that some people will make, is that these Christians were just hallucinating, that they made it up, that they came up with this far-fetched lie. But if there's 500 brothers and sisters who all saw Jesus resurrected at one time, you don't have mass hallucinations like that. And Paul says, if you don't believe me, most of them are still alive. Go ask them. But some did die. Then he said he appeared to James 
which is an interesting apostle. Sometimes when you read critics of the scripture, what they'll say is Paul offers a version of the gospel that's different than Peter's version of the gospel. And Peter offers a version of the gospel that's different than James's version of the gospel. Because if you've read the, the little book of James that he wrote in, in the scriptures, it sure feels like James is elevating works. Faith without works is dead. Show me your faith by your works, and I'll show you my faith because of my works. Those are what James is saying. And so there's critics who will say they're all telling you a different kind of gospel. Just go believe Jesus' gospel or, or pick one. But what Paul's saying right here is he's like, no, he appeared to James, too, who wrote that little book. That it's one cohesive story. And he appeared to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. Paul calls himself the one born at the wrong time. doesn't mean that God made a mistake and that, that he wasn't born when he was supposed to be born. It just means that Paul was the later disciple, that he didn't spend time with Jesus in his ministry. In fact, he was trying to persecute and kill Christians afterwards. This little passage, this little gospel summary right here is everything for us. We have nothing else. We cannot out-entertain the world. We cannot out-comfort the world. We cannot do any of those things. All that we have is Jesus Christ and him crucified. All that we have. And it is far more than enough. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Paul calls himself the least of the apostles. It's not this false hubris that he's saying. It's how he felt. He can look back at his life and he can go, I persecuted Christians. I persecuted the church of God. We were talking in, in Sunday school. We were, I think we're on the wrong lesson, and it's my fault, but it is what it is. Uh, that it's Paul who's holding the coat as they... Stone Stephen, kill the first Christian in, in, in the Bible who's martyred, that Paul is the one doing that. He's off trying to arrest and kill all of these Christians. That there's guilt in his past, that he is not innocent. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Sometimes we use the word grace to mean things that it doesn't mean. It's unmerited favor, unearned favor from God. That God looked at Paul and said, you need to be saved for God's glory. There's nothing in Paul's life that made him worthy to be saved. We know that's the truth because that's what the scriptures teach. And Paul recognizes that all that he is is because of the grace of God. That he is what he is and that the grace that God has lavished on Paul Paul wants to make sure is not done in vain. So what does that cause Paul to do? Work hard. He's not working hard to earn that grace. He has received that grace, that unmerited favor that he does not deserve because he recognizes that God has lavished that undeservedness on him, that he works hard for the Lord. But even in the next breath, he says, I worked hard for, uh, harder than any of them. 
yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I think I've, I've talked about him a little bit before. There's a, 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 a pastor, a theologian um, around the World War II era named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who talks about grace in a helpful way. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian uh, when the Nazi party took over. He was in Germany. He was not in Germany when they took over, and he moved back to Germany to help be a gospel presence there. If you've seen the movie uh, Valkyrie, where they try to assassinate Hitler and it goes wrong, the real-life story is Bonhoeffer was involved in that attack. He's not in the movie, but in real life, that's where he ended up dying because he tried to have Hitler assassinated and didn't. He's a good one for us to read. He has this line in his, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, that talks about grace. He says this, Cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus living and There is this idea that floats around in our circles, in our part of the world, that God has lavished his grace on us, that he's given us everything we need, that he has forgiven us, and that we can be good with the big man upstairs, and so I can go live my life however I want to live it because God has given me his grace. And what the Bible says is God, if you're a believer in Jesus, has given you his grace, but the grace that he has bestowed upon you is not so that you can sit home and do nothing or keep living the way that you were living. That's cheap grace. The grace that God has given us cost Jesus Christ his life. But the grace that he has given us is not some grace that's just external and sits on the outside and something we can cling to in a get-out-of-hell-free card. The grace that God has given to us is something that penetrates into the deepest part of our hearts and the deepest part of our souls, that it's something that actually saves us. And it doesn't just save us, it begins rewiring our heart, rewiring our brain so that we want to continue growing in Jesus Christ so that the things of the world become strangely dim and we continue to walk forward in the things that God calls us to do. We begin, as Paul says in Galatians, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit more and more. That there's more love, there's more patience, there's more peace, there's more kindness, there's more goodness, there's more gentleness, there's more self-control in the Christian life than there are from the world. Because the grace that God gives us is not a cheap grace. It's free, but it costs you everything. It changes you from the inside out. So Paul finishes and he says, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Remember, the beginning of the Corinthian letter, Paul is arguing and saying, you like all of these orthodox teachers and preachers are, are at Corinth. You've got Paul and you've got Apollos and you've got uh, Peter and, and, and then there's a group that's following Jesus and they're like the holy rollers. They're following Christ. He's saying all of these teachers that you're following are good orthodox Christian teachers. You don't have to quit like comparing them to one another and arguing who your favorite teacher is or isn't. And Paul's saying right here, it doesn't matter if I proclaim the gospel to you or somebody else proclaim the gospel to you. It's the gospel message that matters. It's the seed that must be sown. The sower is really kind of irrelevant as long as he's sowing gospel seed. So whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. I think it is so interesting that this is the section that comes right on the heels of the spiritual gift section. 
a section of scripture that's highly debated, a section of scripture that is argued about by all sorts of people in all sorts of places, a section of scripture that deals with secondary issues within the church, important issues, but not primary, right? Secondary issues. We can disagree on the role of the, the gifts of the Spirit as long as we're letting the Bible be our authority on those things. We can have differences. It may cause it to be struggle to worship together. It may cause it to have issues if we're going to be in the same church. We, but we can disagree on those things, and it's okay. It doesn't make us an unbeliever or a, a believer. Yet when we get to verse 15, all of a sudden, Paul's like, but here is the most important thing. We can't disagree on 1 Corinthians 15. We can't say, well, I don't know if the, the death of Jesus Christ was really that important for me or not. No, 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 no. This comes right on the heels of that debated section. And what Paul does is he doesn't appeal to the spiritual gifts. He appeals to the gospel. He appeals to Jesus Christ. He said, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third days according to the scripture. He appeared to all of these different people that, that we know that he appeared to, that you can go and ask them if you don't think he was raised from the dead, and they'll tell you the truth. And if you don't believe them, go ask somebody else. There was 500 of them that saw Jesus resurrected. Go do your research is what Paul's saying. Paul says, I was a murderer. I was the least qualified of all of the apostles, someone who rejected Jesus Christ and tried to convince other people that he was not God, that he was a false prophet, and that if you believed in him, you should have been killed. Yet the grace of God was lavished on Paul, and Paul repented of his sins and turned to Jesus Christ. And now, because of the grace that God lavished on Paul, Paul works even harder to prove that to other people, to share the gospel with others. The gospel, then, for you and I is not something that we hoard. It's not something that we cling to. It's not something that elevates us above somebody else. But the gospel for you and I, then, empowers our hearts and empowers our souls to care less about ourselves, more about other people, and to share the gospel with the lost and dying world around us. That, brothers and sisters, there are people around us who believe, but they believe in vain. They claim to be Christians, but their lives don't match it. The way I, we talked at men's breakfast a few time, uh, weeks ago, whenever the last one was, the one before, uh, when you try to share the gospel in Snyder, if you're like, do you believe in Jesus? Most likely you're going to get, yes, I do. That's the answer, the quick answer everybody gives. That's the way I've started to do it, and it's, I'll ask people, where do you go to church? <laughs> that's how I, how I introduce it. And a lot of times it's like, I don't go anywhere. And I'm like, well, well, why? And then you can delve in and figure out what's really going on. But there's a whole lot of people in Snyder, Texas, who think they believe in Jesus and they don't believe an idea about God they believe that he's the big man upstairs and if you pray the right prayer or say the right prayer or dance on your feet the right way or do whatever that God will give you whatever you want but that's not the God of the Bible we worship a God who is God sovereign and omniscient all powerful all knowing we must love those around us enough to delve into their lives I was encouraged yesterday we went we chased all of these children that are not my children around watching basketball games. And we ended up at Chick-fil-A, and, and some of y'all were there at Chick-fil-A. And so we, we were sitting there eating, and our kids are running around the playground, and so everybody kind of left, and it was just us. And there was three college kids at a booth, um, just a couple booths. I mean, it's Chick-fil-A. It's not like it was across the town. And one of the kids came up to us and gave us a track. He's like, are you guys Christians? And I was like, no. Who, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm actually a pastor. And he went, oh. <laughs> it's like it deflated him. He ended us a little track, and we talked a little bit. He's from WTC in Snyder. Three random college kids out in Big Spring, Texas, trying to share the gospel. 
It was so encouraging, and I tried to tell him, like, keep going. Keep, like, I know I rejected you, but others may not. Keep going. That we have this message, that we have this good news, that we have this gospel that the Lord has given us. And it is not ours to hoard, it is ours to spread, it is ours to sow, it is ours to cast out to as many people as we possibly can. And what this means is you're going to have to live lives that reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're going to have to use your words to tell other people about Jesus. You can't just go yelling at people, telling them to believe in Jesus, and then they look at your life and go, man, this Jesus you're telling me to believe in is completely different than the one you're living. And you can't just live a life that's a good life that you think people will look at your life and go, man, I should believe in Jesus because that guy uses his blinker when he turns. You're going to have to complement that with the words of Jesus Christ, with spreading of the gospel. We talked about this at the last member meeting. That's the vine work we have to focus on. We can build trellises and we can build structures in the church all that we want to, and we can make structures massive and huge, but if the vine's not growing, if we're not making disciples, if we're not helping each other be discipled and grow in Jesus Christ and then share with others outside of us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're not doing the ministry that God has called us to do, we fail. Our goal is to not have beautiful cathedrals of buildings filled with people who don't believe in Jesus. I would rather have a group of people who meet in a bad building but love the Lord and share the the gospel with others regularly and are discipling and caring for one another more and more every day. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the vine work that we're called to make. That Jesus was uh, crucified. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and raised three days later according to the scripture. And we stake everything about us on those facts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today again. And I thank you for the gospel. For your good news. God, that you have called us if we believe in you and we don't believe in vain. But we believe in you truthfully and we follow after you and you have saved us. God, that our call is not to do a bunch of programs. Our call is not to do a bunch of events. Our call is, is not to, to build a bunch of trellises, though they're necessary sometimes. God, our call is to share the gospel. To share it with believers and to disciple one another and to share it with unbelievers in hopes that you might save them. God, our call is to be sowers of your word and to just scatter it around as much and as far as we can. God, I pray that you would help us to do this better, that you'd help to grow us in this way, that you would help us to focus on the vine work, the making of disciples and to teaching disciples your word. God, I pray for unbelievers who are here this morning. That your gospel, clearly that, that Paul writes in your scriptures, is something that they would repent, that would call them to repent of their sins and to turn to you in faith. That they would believe in you and that they would grow in you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.